Hey guys, brand new podcast. Like I said, we're doubling down. We're just trying to put out as much content as possible. We're also trying not to kill ourselves. So if you know, if you see us put out two in a week, that's because we just, it, it, we're also doing two bears, one cave. We, I say we, it's fucking me. I'm doing two bears, one cave. I'm also doing Bill Burt. I'm also taking meetings. I'm also doing live zooms. There's going to be a live zoom next week where we do it for happy hour on Friday. Password to come password.com those live zooms are really fun especially it's the one time i get to drink i have not been drinking bert stop fucking telling people that you sound like an alcoholic oh maybe i am you know my mom anyway um uh today's podcast is absolutely fantastic uh she was a writer on wilfred wilfred is one of my favorite shows if you've never seen wilfred it was a show that i saw and i immediately was like okay i think i just found my show it was with elijah wood was it with elijah wood Elijah Wood, and he could talk to his dog, Wilfred. It was on FX, and I fucking love that show. Him and his dog were getting so much shit, and his dog was a – oh, it was just such a great show. She has a new show on Quibi. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with Quibi, it is a streaming app on your phone. Uh, I took a couple meetings with Quibi, and I'm super excited. I've, I've only thing I've seen as of date right now is punked on Quibi. Because when I got Quibi, her show was not out yet. It came out last Monday. It is called Dummy. I'm going to check it out. It is with the ever-so-talented Anna Kendrick. I say ever-so-talented because, God damn it, I'm a fan of that fucking woman's. She is funny as fuck on her Twitter, on her Instagram. She is an amazing actress, and she is a part of one of my daughter's favorite movies ever, uh, uh, Pitch Perfect. It's the only reason I ever get credit for knowing Adam Devine is that my daughters are obsessed with Pitch Perfect, and they're like, "You." They think I get I have such street cred because I know Adam Devine. They're like, "You don't know him, Dad." I'm like, "No, I, I definitely know him." There's no way you know him. I was like, "No, I do." And then he liked a video of mine, and George was like, "Dad, Adam Devine liked it." By the way, I'm getting off topic. Uh, let's let's do the podcast. You're gonna love this podcast. This podcast is fucking awesome. We go in a lot of different d- directions. We talk about writing. We talk about, you know, I'm always fascinated with this business and the other sides of the business. I don't know. We talk about uh, writing her first writing gig, what it was like navigating those waters. And then very quickly, we get into sexual fetishes, um, sexuality, masturbation. I mean, uh, skull fucking. We talk, I got to be honest with you, for about an hour and six minutes, we talk strictly about sex. And it is fucking awesome awesome it's one of the coolest conversations i've ever had where at one point she goes are people still listening to this fuck yeah they are cody fuck yeah this was a great podcast um like i said check out quibi check out her new show called dummy with anna kendrick she is amazing she is is absolutely fantastic ladies and gentlemen today's podcast cody heller Okay. Hello. Hi, Bert. Hey, hey, Cody. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I've just been um, watching uh, your comedy specials on Netflix and really enjoying them. Oh, thank you, Halston. We good? Awesome, awesome. Thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it. I got to tell you, uh, I was such a huge fan of Wilfred. I know you wrote on Wilfred. That was like one of my very first jobs. That was uh, one of the best jobs ever. 
I'm still really close to so many of those writers. It was like where I learned how to write TV. It was like kind of, it was my second room, but it's really where I learned everything I know about writing and the writer's room and the culture and love that show. It was, and I, I, I had just recently, like a couple months before I got that job, I had found a dog on the street who's now, I've had her 11 years. She's my dog, Barbara. But so like, I was able to draw so much inspiration from just like all my interactions with having my own dog. So it was just this kind of perfect timing getting Wilfred right after getting Barbara. It's so, that's so, uh, that's, that's gotta be what, so what is it like? Like, I haven't thought about this in a while with comedy, but like when you say that was my first room, yeah. What's that experience like? Like what, when, when you go in, is it like your first day of school? Like I, I, I do this because I'm so fascinated by your side of the business, meaning create shows, sell shows, write shows, um, collaborate with other creative artists to create co- comedy. Yeah. To, and, 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 and I, I will never underestimate the power of, I, I don't think people can ever understand this. I definitely do is, how hard it is to write something on paper and then make that thing you wrote on paper filmed and funny when filmed. It's so fucking hard. I know. It's really crazy. Uh, On Wilfred, I was like, you know, they call them baby writers, but I was young and I was a staff writer. So on a show like that, which isn't, you know, shot in front of a live audience, it's not typical network. It's like a cable show. Usually you kind of write all the episodes and then they shoot it. And if you're just a staff writer, you're not really on set much. Mm. Um, like, like I went for my episodes because I was, you know, it was fun, but it's like, you're not really on set now in my career. Then I worked up to, you know, now I'm an executive producer level, but like my last job right before uh, dummy was on this Showtime show called kidding with Jim Carrey. And I was the co-executive producer for that. So it's like in the writer's room, everyone's a writer, but there's these levels. And once you get to the producer level, then you're kind of more involved in the actual production and being on set. And, uh, and then, you know, now I'm, now I've been a showrunner and that it's, you know, TV is the writer's medium because in, you know, in movies, the director has rule of the kingdom and the writer is kind of just like at home and doing their thing and that's it. But in TV, the showrunner, the creator, the writers, like they have the power over the director, which is a really interesting and can be like very toxic. Like I've worked on so many shows where like the showrunner and the director don't see eye to eye and there's drama and usually they're men and it's like a pissing contest thing. And it's like the political workings, inner workings of writing television is very fascinating. Um, But it's the best job in the world. I basically like, I went to film school for directing and then where did you grow up? I grew up in LA in the Valley. Oh, for real? That Valley, Valley woman. Yes. Was your family in the industry? Yeah. My mom is an actress. Um, have you ever seen the karate kid, the original karate kid? Of course. Yeah, obviously she's the, she's the mom in that. Hold pretty on big, pretty big. Your pretty mom's big. Mrs. LaRusso. She's Mrs. LaRusso. Yeah. Oh my God. I know. It's like, it's one of those things that certain age groups, like, oh especially God. when I was like, like I, I wish was, you had never told me that. Now, when I was it's, like, like, it's like, it's like going, it's like going on a date with someone and then someone's like, oh, her dad played football for the, for the Giants. And you're like, okay, now I see her totally different. When, when I was in my early 20s, like dating older dudes, I, there would always be this certain age group where when they found that out, they would be like, 
oh my God. And then there are people who just like, are like, yeah, I think I saw it. I don't remember. But like anyone who knows it and is like Mrs. LaRusso. Um, so, but she had, you know, she's, she started on Broadway then moved here and got into TV and movies and like has had this crazy career. Like you look at her IMDb, she's done like 80, 90 things, but like the, still the biggest thing that people know her from is Karate Kid. And then she had an arc on Mad Men years later. And, uh, but I wanted to be an actress when I was a kid and then watching my mom like start to get old and be an actress and see like what that life is and the rejection and just like, what that looked like. I was like, I don't have the constitution for that. I can't, I, there's no way. So then I kind of. You must have not been born for the karate kid, right? I was born the, I was born in 85 and wait, sorry. Can you still hear me? Yeah, I can. Um, And and karate kid, by the way, karate kid, I have such a connection with that fucking movie. Uh, It was the first movie I ever cried at. It was the first, I've told the story a number number of times. I, I met kids at tennis camp, um, that day and they invited me to go see karate kid. My mom dropped me off late. And I went down and it was the first movie I sat through my entire movie by myself because I couldn't find the kids. And I ended up getting lost in the movie about a kid who's new and he's making friends. And that was the situation. I was in a tennis camp. This is a real white privilege story, by the way. And then and then at the end, obviously, crane kick. I start bawling, crying. House lights come up. The kids that invited me to tennis camp are sitting in the row in front of me, laughing hysterically at me. And then they look at me and they're like, dude, you're hilarious. You fake cried. And I'm like, yeah oh bird oh my, oh my poor little baby oh, that's by the way that's every one of my stories in life is oh. that poor little baby <laughs> oh my god no you know that movie really fucking holds up with the exception of some problematic racist stuff that like you know all old movies you're like oh yikes but oh, I, by movie- the way by the way and can i tell you i had one yeah. joke about your mom yeah. uh uh i was watching this is uh i haven't i don't know if i've ever even put this but i'm a special I was watching the Karate Kid the other day. You thought you think at sometimes at some point Mrs. Larusso would be like, "I think that maintenance man is trying to fuck my kid." <laughs> to come together. Totally. So, yeah, there we That's go. That's hilarious. That's so um, cool. What did your dad do? Uh, and my dad is a photographer, and so it was kind of a weird thing where, like, I wanted to be an actress. You know, since I was a little kid, like most a lot of little kids, especially growing up in LA. And my mom, I think did like a very smart thing. Although at the time I was so furious where like, I want to be a child actress. I wanted to, you know, start doing it. I was in LA and my mom was like, Cody, I've got my own auditions to drive to Like as soon as you get your license, if you're still interested and you're serious about it, you can get an agent. You can try to do that and drive yourself to auditions. And by the time I was 16, I was like, I had gone to this um, arts high school and I majored in theater, but I also started taking like directing and writing classes. And at that point, I just kind of was more interested in, in making stuff than being in stuff. Although now I'm like, you know, when I wrote Dummy, the, the Quibi show, um, I wrote it for myself to be in. And yeah. Dan, my fiance, my now fiance was going to play himself. So like, I do still have the is acting your, bug, is your but I won't admit it. Because, like, but, is your fiance an actor as well? Uh, no, my, my fiance is Dan Harmon. Oh, Dan Harmon. so he, but he, you know, he, but he, he's actually like a very talented actor in the little things that he's done. So I wrote this like semi-autobiographical piece about me and Dan and I'm, you know, and, oh, his cool. and, uh, and I was going to play myself and then it, you know, after years of development redevelopment, eventually now Anna Kendrick plays me. Um, but hey, Anna, uh, listen, I can't, I, I saw, I can't. Anna Kendrick is 
a national treasure, in my opinion. She's incredible. She is maybe one of my favorite human beings in in the world. She's so talented. She's so um, just like, I I fell in love with her as a friend. Like she's so incredible. She truly is remarkable. Oh, I went to the treble feature. I went to the treble feature with my daughters where we watched all Pitch Perfects, one, two, and three in one day. So like, I'm a big- I, I don't have kids and like, I'm a little old for that. So like I had seen- Pitch Perfect one. And I knew obviously who she was and I'd seen up in the air and I knew she was a talented actress, but like when her name came up, I wasn't like, Oh, she's perfect for me. But (laughs) I like, I like met with her for this dinner. We wind up having this this, like four and a half hour long dinner where we're just like telling each other, like all of our, cause the show is very sexual and deals with sexuality. So we're telling each other like all of our deepest, darkest fetishes and like what kind of porn we're into and the guilt and shame we feel about like certain things. We just got right to it. And I was like, she can play me. And uh, I joke that I would like, whenever we go out to dinner, I try to like order more and be like, here, eat up. Cause she's so small. And I was like, you need to be like a little bigger to play me. But, um, but she was incredible. And then the actress who played the sex doll, um, Meredith Hagner from search party. She is like unfucking believable. Like she auditioned and I immediately was like, she it has to be her and not like, I'm now going to go back into all the scripts and rewrite like her to make it exactly to her voice because she's just so specific and funny. And like, she had this really challenging job because she's playing a sex doll. So we're like using tracking markers on her face. The doll itself cannot move except for like the face facial features, but it can't move its head. So she had to act like this, like she couldn't move her face or body and can only use her face. And basically because everything was so rushed with Quibi and Anna's schedule and blah, blah, blah. She found this out like on the first day of shooting, it was like, Oh, by the way, you can't move at all. And she just like, the girl took it in stride and was just like, okay. And just, it was just like a magical experience. Like the, all the women, like I tried to have as many like female department heads as possible. And it was just like the most fun 18 days of my life making the show. It was just, it was fantastic. Well, get back, go, go back to your dad and your mom. I'm, I'm oh, really yeah. fascinated. I apologize. We'll get to dummy. I mean, I'm, no, I'm, no, 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 I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big, I, like, uh, I, li- I listen to some of your podcasts and I, you're really I'm the worst to- interviewer in the world. No, no. That's what Dan always says about Harmontown, his podcast. Like he always jokes that, but like you, when I was listening to some of your interviews, you really find ways to ask questions that are not just like your bait. You, you, I love how you tangentially sort of weave into stuff and you always seem to like get back to your point, which as a stoner is like my, my main thing is that I'm always like, I get super high and then like I go rambling off in one direction, but then I'm always able to like track back, but it takes forever. But I'll be like, okay, it was because we started about this and this, Oh, that was what I was the point I was trying to make two hours ago. Oh, anyway, the, reason, so back- the reason I knew we were connect- going to connect the first thing I saw, like, like, uh, I uh, guess they reached out to me like two weeks. They're like, do you want Cody Heller? I go, yeah, of course. Wait, how do I know Cody Heller? And they're like, oh, Wilfred, Dami. And I went, no, wait, how do I know Cody Heller? And then I Googled and I was like, oh, that's right. I feel like me and you have gotten caught caught shit from podcasts from drinking. And so I was like, <laughs> oh, my God. I, like, yes. oh, I know who this is. Like I saw only, me and your names in a subreddit one time. <laughs> my only appearance on Harmontown, I was like, completely drunk and telling a story about having been completely drunk at like an airport. <laughs> so now that's like my legacy, but you know what? Fucking embrace it. Like I'm oh, down. Yeah. Let I'm me down tell you something. I'm so fucking tired of internet trolls coming at me. Like they live a perfect life. I go, listen, well, I, I'm just I my life out there. 
Bert, I have to say that I did hear on one of your podcasts, I was like, I think it was with Mark Marin, and you were like, well, I don't drink while I do the podcast, but I got to tell you something, Bert. I, Mama needed a little drinky poo because I was a little nervous. I was a little nervous. So I am indulging in just like a little oh. tiny, tiny bit of vodka. But I'm with going through this alcohol. weird, I'm going through this weird phase right now where I'm trying to defend, I haven't, I've only drank twice in 45 days. And what? I'm trying to come up with a new, I, well, it's not. How are you doing that quarantine? I know why well, I'm doing it mostly because I'm hanging out with my daughters every night. So it's like kind of weird to be the only one opening a bottle of Jack. <sighs> but then more importantly, I go, well, I wanted my immune system to be up. Now it turns out your immune system can fight against you. I'm like, well, maybe I should lead back into booze. But I'm trying to come up with this new, um, this new f- concept of AA where uh, you don't count drinking days where they're bookended by sober days. Like, so, and, and by the way, I'm just talking myself into a circle and all anyone can do is point out how much I'm actually am drinking. They're like, yeah, but you did party hard as fuck twice, like in 42 days. So I'm, 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 I found nothing but a hypocrite. 42 days, only twice. That's really remarkable, Bert. I think that's an accomplishment. You should, that's, that's big. Uh, I don't know. We'll see. Quarantine between like quarantine and my show premiering. And like, now I'm not looking at reviews anymore, but like the, what it premiered last Monday. And at first I was like looking at reviews and like, first there were a couple of great reviews that like, I went to my head and I was like, I'm a fucking genius. Like I got this. And then I would read this one review that like, I'm not joking made me be like, I should print out this review, kill myself, leave the the review under my dead body so that this woman knows what she's done to me. Like I took it so personally. So then I was like, you know what? I'm not going to fucking read the no more reading reviews, but between being in quarantine and the show and the stress, like I have not been curbing my drinking in any responsible way whatsoever. I've just been it's like really oh. hard. It's really hard when you make art and, and people like it's, it's another thing. And I'm sure, I'm sure you can attest to this is that when, when the, when the country's moving forward and we're all living a regular life and, and everyone's kind of got their own things going on. It's one thing to put out a special or a new TV show or a new series, a new bit of content. But when everyone is stopped down and is looking for a reason to be either critical or has more time on their hands, some people can be brutal towards something that you just, your only goal, and what, what I think is what's great about this is your only goal is to distract people for a little bit. Let them think, let them laugh, let them, let them give them a yeah. moment of reprise, which is what, Quibi has been for me is yeah. uh, the day Quibi came out. I got Quibi and I was like, I remember tweeting out. I remember tweeting out, Hey, what's everyone watching on Quibi? And the people want to was- hate on Quibi so bad, but, but it's been that way since even before, like before quarantine was a thing, people already wanted to shit on Quibi. And then the addition, like adding the fact that we're now in quarantine, I think people are just like, I don't want to watch a show on my phone, which I, I can understand, especially with comedy. Like if you are quarantined with other people, you want to watch comedy with other people. You want to laugh with other people. So you don't want to be like doing it on your phone. But I do know that Quibi has heard the feedback and they are like working on the technology to get it. So you can do it on your TV. But I, lo- I watch, I watch, I can watch a three hour podcast on my phone. I do that I know. all the time. It's true. It's true. I mean, I think it's just such a weird time with everything, all these new platforms and everything changing and, you know, who the fuck knows? It feels good when, when you're powerless. And, and by the way, this is a old premise I had that maybe I'll work into new, but when you're powerless 
it, fe- it feels good to be outraged. It, it, mm-hmm. and, and right now we all feel a little powerless. We can't go out of our houses. We can't do what we want to do. We can't go out to dinner. We're stuck in our houses. And, and your natural instinct, same way powerless people are the same ones that slowly walk across the street. When you're, when you're going to, and you see a guy slow down and look at you like, fuck you. That's a guy that's taking it in every hole, every single day of his life that has no power over his life. And the only amount of power he can exert is slowing down to walk across the street. And so yeah. what happens sometimes is during these times, and I've been guilty of it too, of being outraged when I don't know why I'm outraged. And I just find myself venting out loud. Like I texted something to Rogan the other day and he was like, okay, uh, maybe you should go take a walk outside. <laughs> I just, but you get outraged over the most bullshit yeah. stuff. Yeah. And for me, it was like one joke in my special outraged some people. And I was like, that wasn't my intent. Like my intent is just to make you laugh. And, yeah. and right now, for whatever reason, Quibi got like, got attacked. And I didn't see why it got attacked because I tweeted out, Hey man, just got my Quibi. What's everyone watching? And there, and everyone was like, how much did you get paid to say that Bert? And I was oh, like, shit. I was like, nothing. I just <sighs> paid seven, whatever it is a month. Oh my God. But it's, it's fucking ridiculous. Back yeah. to your parents. Back to your parents. Okay, back to my parents. Did so, your parents party? Did your parents party? Oh, yeah. My parents, oh, yeah? Are, my parents are total, like, hippies. Um, super. Cl- they're divorced, but I'm super close with each of them. They separated when I was, like, eight. My sister is eight years older than me, so she was already in college. So I basically had, like, split custody half the week with my dad, half the week with my mom. So I was, like... I live like I was basically like a roommate to each of my parents half the week and they both are, you know, artists. So they are eccentric. And I, you know, a lot of times I was sort of the parent to them, but like, they're just great parents. I have individual such close relationships with both of them. And um, my dad is a total character. He's a, he's a photographer and uh, growing up, like we, he, he's been going out to death Valley national park since he like moved to LA back in the seventies. And so growing up, our family trips would always be like to the desert. We take these desert trips. And as a photographer, he would set up, do his like, you know, landscape photography. And then after my parents got divorced, it became just like me and my dad would go on these road trips together. And it was just, we became so close. Like as soon as he knew that I had already smoked pot on my own, then it was like, oh, we can smoke pot together. Like he didn't want to be the person to be like, smoke pot with me. That would be, you know, but yeah. as soon as he knew, it was like, yeah, I want you to be safe about it. So I'd rather you smoke pot at home than, you know. And- uh, Wait, how old were you when you first smoked pot? I can't remember exactly. I'm guessing 12, like it was with my sister and my older cousin who were both a lot older. I remember not actually getting high. Like they say, sometimes you don't really get high, but I like pretended to get high. And then- you know, I just, I didn't have, I never had like a pot problem or like like a substance abuse problem in high school or anything. Like I was, I always, I'm a partier, but I've managed to like never get a DUI or be like a, you know, I'm a functional, functional partier. Um, but yeah, so my dad and I would go to these trips to the desert and they would be these road trips and he just like loves meeting random. We'd go to like a ghost town where there's a population of five people. And by the time we would leave there, we'd be friends with all of them. One time when I was 14, we were driving through like, you know, cause death Valley borders, Nevada, we were driving through this town in Nevada and my dad turns to me and he's like, and I'm 14. And he's like, Cody, have you ever been to a brothel before? And I was like, 
no. And he's like, do you know what a brothel is? And I was like, I think so. And I look up and we're in front of this place. Like, he's like, I think we should check this out. And there's this place called Angels Ladies that we just happened to drive by. And he was interested, curious. So he like, we park. He's like, stay here for a second. And I'm like, dad, they're, they're not going to let me in. Like I'm a kid. And he c- comes back after like a couple minutes and he's like, come on in. It's fine. And I was like, what? what? And he like made up some excuse to them and said like, I'm throwing a bachelor party for a friend of mine and it's hot outside. My daughter's in the car. Can she come in? So I went in to this legal brothel in Nevada. Um, the girls did a lineup. We wound up talking to these women and becoming friendly with them. And like cut to November of that year, me, my sister and my dad had Thanksgiving dinner with the sex workers and the people of this, of Angel Ladies Brothel. And we kept in touch with them. And we went, every time we went to the desert, we would go back and visit them. And, you know, they just became our friends and they were just like the kindest, coolest people. I mean, now looking back, I don't know if the circumstances, like I've read some shit on the internet where I'm like, Ooh, was Mac the owner kind of like a sleaze bag and not respectful of these women. So I don't know, but like, it really opened up my eyes to normalizing sex work at a young age and being like, Oh, they're, that's just a job. That's fine. Um, which, you know, it's like, if you told, if, if I told that someone that story of like, my dad took me to a brothel when they're, when I was 14, they'd be like, Oh my God, what the fuck? Like your dad is a sick perverted fuck. He should be arrested. But it wasn't in that spirit whatsoever. It wasn't like he was going there to do business with these women. It was, it was him just meeting people like he would in the ghost town, just another place to go meet some folks who live out in the desert. Um, and then they, they closed down a couple of years ago and I still have like, we went back and I, I like took the like out of business sign off the thing. And I have that on my office wall. And it's like my, like angels ladies just became this, this defining thing of my, of my childhood of just like something, the desert in general, but especially angels, ladies. Um, it's gotta be interesting to share a relationship with a parent where you, where they consider you, they consider you, uh, a peer is probably too much of a word, but they elevate you from child to like confidant, like a, a friend. I never had that with my parents and my dad recently started eating marijuana and it was, I had a hard time, I had a hard time compartmentalizing feelings about it. Cause I was like, really? I was like, you really, you told me never to do drugs. I, I like, I hid this. I, this is a bad thing. Now yeah. all of a sudden you want me to like, he was like, I need you to send me some edibles. And I was like, no, I'm not going to mail you edibles. I was raised better than, than that <laughs> by you, but you're not paid. It, I had a really hard time. Have and you, I Have you gotten high with him? Uh, yes. Oh, one. wait, I feel like I was just starting to listen to like, was that the owl story? No, 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 I didn't. I didn't, uh, I didn't get high with him with the owl. I was sober. I was drinking, but, yeah. um, I, the first time he ate marijuana as an adult was at Easter, my house and my buddy, Joey Diaz slept in marijuana. And my dad was like, ate some marijuana. And he was like, what do I do? And I was like, well, I'm not gonna let you go in alone. And I ate some, and we had a really great time together we ended up it's the reason i'm a cardiologist it's because of that night we sat out had a cigar and a whiskey we were high and i was just very unguarded and i said why don't you like me and he said uh i i'm afraid i'm gonna lose you and i said okay and he was like i go how do we fix that because i was like i want to have a relationship with you and i feel like we're butt heads nonstop. and he was like let me get you a cardiologist and i was like okay and he was like you do that and i go yeah anything to make you more comfortable around me. Like I'll do whatever that is. And so he was like, okay. 
So he got me a cardiologist. He got to pick it. He got to send to the cardiologist all the tests he wanted me to take to make sure my heart was okay. And then all of a sudden, everything was better. And it was just because we were high and unguarded, you know? That's beautiful. I love that. Yeah, it's cool. But uh, but like I said, I never really had... No, 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 you said no, you, uh, <laughs> you, uh, no, you, 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 um, no, it's, I, I've never had that relationship with my parents that, and I wonder if it's because my parents split up for a period of time, but it, but I was in college, I was gone. So I never really knew them as humans. I, yeah. I knew them as like parents who were I fucking think- up. It's interesting because like my sister, like I said, she's eight years older than me. So she, by the time they got divorced, she was already gone. So she has a very different, she's very close with both my parents as well. But like, I have this very specific relationship with each of my parents where like, there were moments where I had to be the parent to them throughout, you know, all the years where they were going through the divorce. My mom got breast cancer and she was sick and I had to take care of her. Like there were just things where it was like, I was sort of forced to grow up quickly and become a parent that like, now I'm so grateful for because they're the things that make me who I am. And now my relationship with my whole family, like it, it, I'm so close with all of them. I have so much fun with them. When we hang out, we all drink and party and like can tell each other everything And it was so important to me. I realized it like in my 20s, I was in a a seven year long relationship with this guy and he was older and I didn't even know what I was doing yet. I was still an assistant. I wasn't like a fully formed human yet. And uh, the one thing was like, he did not get along with my family. Like he couldn't, I was just like, how can you not? They're so fun and easygoing. It's not like they're this like uptight religious by any, like they're so non-judgmental. Like what? I don't understand if, and he just couldn't get close to them. He felt like it was this thing of like with his family, he's not close with them. And therefore family is this formal thing and whatever. And so I knew going after that relationship, I knew going forward that like whoever I was going to be with next, it really mattered to me that they could be close with my family because I really love my family. So when I started dating Dan, it was like a very weird how it all kind of came together. But like, basically our third date was like, he came to Thanksgiving dinner and met like most of my family and just like hit it off with them and was so cool. And I was just like, this feels right. I feel like I can be myself in front of him. He's being engaging with my family. They love him. And I realized like, priorities for me in a relationship were like family and then like can I fart in front of this person can we fart together because that was another thing in my in my seven year long relationship in my 20s we never farted in front of each other and I remember bringing it up at a certain point and being like so you know it's been like five years like how are you feeling in terms of like starting to you know fart and he was like well you can do it I'm not going to And I was like, what? That's so like growing up farting was such a source of laughter and joy and light and punchlines in my family. And so when I started dating Dan very early on, I was like, look, I just want to be real with you. Like farting, are we, are you down? And now it's like, we have so much fun being able to fart in front of each other and like still totally like does not affect the sex life at all. Like it's such a different thing, but farting is just like, I could never, ever again date someone who I couldn't feel comfortable like farting in front of. Can you imagine growing up in a house where your parents didn't fart? I know. Bizarre. I mean, that would be, that would be like, uh, that would be, I mean, 
I know this is going to probably outrage people, but that would be like where they didn't welcome your sexuality. Yeah. Like if you, you had to keep it, you, it's part of you. It's like, I know it's mind boggling to me. But right now there's someone who's gay going, that's right, Bert. Being gay (laughs) is exactly like holding in a fart for 20 years. I, when I was dating that guy, I was in the Wilford writer's room. And when we finally broke up, the joke was that like, I was going to let out like the world's longest fart. Cause I've been Aww. holding it for seven years. And I was just, like, finally, like, um, yeah. I had a joke about my wife farting during oral sex. So like, we're, Wait, we while you were giving. No. Oral? Yeah. While I was down there, she farted on my chin and it was, you know, what's so funny is that I, I didn't, I didn't initially didn't think it was a joke. She farted and then she started crying and I go, why are you crying? And she goes, this is going to go on stage. And I was like, oh, <laughs> oh, oh yeah. And then I, as soon as I said it on stage, I was like, I was like, of course, I'm not the only one this has happened to. This has to have happened to other people. And it, and it has, and it happens right at the moment of climax. It so makes sense. You're releasing. Yeah. yeah. I have to say that I've actually been farted on during oral sex in a very, like, I, it was, okay, I was basically lying on my back. This was years and years ago. He was also my boss at the time. I can't say who it is. I was lying on my back. <laughs> I'm going through your IMDB. Keep he going. <laughs> was skull fucking me. But like in a way where it was like, so say, say this is my body and I'm lying on my back. He was perched over me facing my feet. So like, he was like, you know, I, yep, he was like I gotcha. this. So, and he was like putting his dick, like skull fucking me. So I'm like, ah, but his balls were right around my nose. And then his anus was right above that. So I'm doing it and I'm like gagging and crying. It's like, I'm getting skull fucked, but I'm like, oh, it's worth it. I really just like, I hope he loves me. I love him so much. <laughs> and then all of a sudden I feel you know, like when you go to the, the eye doctor and they do that test where they like blow a little puff of air in your eyeball. I feel that. I feel a little and I'm go. Oh, oh. And he tried to like, I mean, it was just so bizarre. He tried to like make it sexy. So he like turned around and looked at me and was like, mm, what was that? And I didn't know how to react because I was just like, you farted in my face, dude. You know what happened. But instead, of course, I was like, mm, I don't know. What was it? Like, I just fucking failed myself and just was just like, mm, I don't know. What was it? Like, keep going. I love it. Um, that might be yeah. the best story ever told on my podcast. That might be the best story. God, I wish I could say who it was. I anyway. Wish, by the way, I wish you could too. I'm dying to fucking know. I'll tell you privately. I just don't want to get sued or anything. It's so funny. Um, I wonder how often do you find I, it, men and women have such different instances in like how we like when you said I I wish I could have been like, dude, you just farted. But then I went, I don't know like that. It's so funny because I know that girl that you that girl you talk about that right yeah. there, that, that girl, that moment yeah. of who you were. I know that version of that girl when Amy Schumer was that girl, or at least she explained it. Like all these different women, powerful women have all had an experience with that girl of that being that person and all men have it, but men, it rears itself in a different way. Like our vulnerability or our need or our want never was as cute or as interesting. But I, I, I just find that so interesting. Like the, we've all got a version of that person. Yeah. 
where you don't speak up. And you know what's so funny is my wife now will say, uh, I'll say something where I want to click into that girl, like, uh, hey, let's have sex in the pool. And my wife just, I was just talking to Segura about it today. She'll just go, wrong girl, wrong girl. That girl's not uh-huh. here anymore. And I'm like, what? She's like, I don't want to fuck in a pool. It's uncomfortable. I don't want to do it. I don't, and I don't need to pretend I, I'm that girl. I'm not that girl. I love that. It's really interesting. Like I, so Dan and I, when we first started dating, we were just like super, I mean, that's kind of how the, the show idea came to me, but like we were super open about everything. We decided like, let's do things so differently than we've done them in the past. Let's like be really upfront. Let's watch porn together, tell each other all of our fetishes and kinks. And like, I had sort of discovered in my, I've been in a seven year relationship and then I was single for three years. And during those three years, I just like fucked everybody I could and learned like what I was into, what I wasn't and learned that like this on this one random date that I went on, on like some fucking Tinder date with a guy that like, as soon as I got to the bar, I was immediately like, there's no way this is not a connection. But we started drinking and talking and he was telling me about like his life and how he was formerly uh, polyamorous and about his kinks. And he was telling me about, he's really into um, daddy daughter role play. And I was like, that's really interesting. I tend to watch a lot of like incest porn, like taboo incest porn is kind of a thing that I'm into. And so I wind up like going back to this dude's house and we do daddy daughter role play. And it's like the hottest thing that's ever like my mind was just blown it was just like oh my god because I wasn't myself it was a character and so I felt free to say and do all the things and it just like was really amazing so that guy was just like this one-off thing but from there I was like I know that I'm really into like role-playing and being very submissive in bed and like there is this part of me that's like no you're a feminist like you shouldn't want to be like have a rape fantasy that's wrong but now, you know, the more women I talk to, the more I'm like, no, this is very common. Of course, it makes sense that like your subconscious mind would want to do some things that are taboo and wrong and dirty that you would never want in real life, of course. Um, but so when I started dating Dan, we really like put everything out there, told each other everything. And we just got really into role play at, like from early on. Like, and, and now thinking back, because I always like talk to my friends about it who are like, oh my God, I, they love hearing about it. And I'm like, you should try it. And it's like, it's really hard. I would think if you're dating someone or with someone or married to someone for a long time, and then suddenly you're like, let's try to role play. It would be like, feel very silly and hard to get into. But because we did it so early on when we were like just starting to date, now it's like, we pretty much, I don't think we've ever had sex as ourselves. Like we're always a character and we have like go-to characters now. And we have like different sometimes. And because we're both writers, it's like, sometimes we will pitch for like, I mean, now, like years later, we're not as elaborate, but early on, it would be like, we would be pitching for like 30 minutes before we would land on an idea. We'd be like, okay, I'm selling magazines door to door and I really need this sale or else I'm not going to be able to get my cheerleading outfit for the, the, you know, like just going on and poking holes and being like, well, but that wouldn't make sense. So as this, you know, and it just was so funny and fun. And then we would have the role play sex and it would be amazing and so hot. And so it just became this like really fun thing. And now I'm just so like, I, I encourage all my friends who are like starting new relationships, like try role playing if it's like something that you've ever thought about, because it's harder to do it years in than just like, if you start out and say like, let's just try a thing. It's fun. And like, we'll get so into like to the point where like Dan, 
will like take fake calls during it. Like he'll do like characters and I'll be like, hold on, hold on. It's, it's, uh, it's your boss. Like he can't know you're here. Like just, we get so, so into it and it's just, it's glorious. It's really fun. I bet they're really rich characters because you guys are both great writers. Oh my God. There, we really get so into it. Like we, and now we have like our go-to where I'll be like, okay, like is, you know, Uncle Doug coming over tonight or whatever. Like we have our go-to <laughs> Doug. Um <laughs> It's funny. I have, I was, I was never very sexually adventurous just by lack of not having a lot of sex. I never had a lot of sex. I only had sex with six chicks in my life. Maybe, maybe seven. I, I always say six. That's my go-to number. Maybe it was seven, but not many. And, and with a few of them, it was just once or twice. So that I only really had sex with like probably four chicks total that was like serious, my wife being one of them. So, and I was, and I, and I don't know, I, I was just telling uh, Jessica Curse on the other day is that there were so many parameters put on me at my age sexually is that anything too perverse was gay. So mm-hmm. you never wanted to like, like finger in the ass. I mean, I remember first hearing about that and we were in high school and it was like, what are you gay? Who the yeah. fuck is like that? And you're like, and then you were like, all right, all right. It was almost like, I'm not going to explore whatever I think. I, w- I won't even have any commission to inquire inside. Is that something we want? You just go, that doesn't happen. All right. right. Cut it down. Right. Um, and so, so it's funny. I, I don't, I, I remember one time saying to my wife, do you want me to tie you up? And she said, why? And I was like, <laughs> I love Leanne. She's, yeah, I, mean, I, go, I don't know her, but I love her. I go, I don't, I don't know. Just, I just, just don't want you to be bored. And she goes, I'm not bored. Let's just do it the way we do it. Like, I don't, she goes, honey, you have fucking high blood pressure. I'm not going to let you tie me up drunk. And then all of a sudden I have a heart attack and I'm sitting here like a Stephen King novel. Oh like, my God. There was a movie it. about that. That was really, that was really, it was a Stephen, I think it was a Stephen, it was yeah. a Molly's game or something. Yeah, or, or I forgot what it's called, but it was on Netflix. But I, the other thing that I will say is that like, ever since I was like young, I always had like fantasies about like basically being like raped in my sleep. But I was like, I never. <laughs> Me, <pursued> too. <laughs> Me too. Me <laughs> too. But I never pursued it with anyone because I was always like, well, that just makes it seem like I'm lazy. Like I just want to lie there. But like, it's not coming from that place. I'm genuinely turned on by like being, you know, out of like being controlled. So a lot of times with Dan, like literally it's, it'll just be like, I can just fucking sleep. And like, the best part is, you know, like when you're in class, when you're a kid and like you are, you have to laugh, someone makes a joke, but like you're you can't laugh because you're in class. So you're trying to hold in that laughter and like making, yes, holding in that laughter makes it so much funnier. And like, then you just have to laugh and it's like so hard. That's what an orgasm is like when you're trying to pretend that you're like sleeping or dead because you can't do anything with your face. So like, if I'm, if like, if I'm pretending to be like a drugged out person who's totally unconscious and Dan is having sex with my body, like when it comes to the point where I'm going to come, like I, my eye will twitch because like there's, I'm like, I'm like trying so hard not to react at all, but like it, you just do cause it's so hot. Oh my um, God. That's by the way, I would be, see my problem. I, by the way, I told a comedian this one time, a comedian said he had a really lame joke. He was like, my wife has a rape fantasy and I don't know what to do with that. That's just stupid. Like he was, he was just shitting on the idea of rape fantasies. And I was like, I was like, no, you you got to make a joke out of it. Like the joke should be, I don't want to do it because what if I'm into it? What if I'm into it and that's all I want? And then I come <laughs> home 
And, she, and I was like, hey, uh, you want to do the rape fantasy? She's like, nah. And he's like, okay. She's like, no, 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 seriously. He's like, all right, okay, sure. And he's, she's like, no, really, I don't want to do it. And he's like, I know, you don't know. Yeah. The, um, but like, I remember my first time I ever heard about a rape fantasy. I was 27 years old. I was living in LA. I was, uh, I was, I was living in LA and my buddy, I won't say my buddy's name and I won't say the chick's name. She was a manager, like a famous manager. And he had sex with her and she said, I want you to rape me. And he was like, what? She was like, I want you to like choke me. And like, I have a, ra-. and I mean, I, I can't tell you, like, you know, in like great scenes in movies, like I, I've always said, one of my favorite scenes in movies is uh, when Matthew Lillard gets stabbed by, uh, by Skeet Ulrich in Scream. Yeah. And they have to stab each other. It's one of my favorite scenes in a movie because yeah. they have to stab each other. He's like, man, you're going really deep. Yeah, yeah. The, one of the great scenes I've always thought is my buddy coming down and he was like, he came down to my room. Oh, I just said his name. Halston, pull that out. My buddy coming down to my room and going, I don't know what just happened. And I was like, what? He's like, I think I technically just raped somebody, but she asked me to do it. Like it was me and him <laughs> going like, trying to go, you're okay. He's like, I would, I don't know how to behave. Like I, she kept saying, choke me and pull my hair and like, and she asked for it. She kept asking for it. It was like, it was like two morons trying to figure, figure out the constitution. Like oh we were literally God. like sitting in my room and, and then, yeah, obviously she was totally into it. Like that was her thing, but it was right. really, I was the first time I ever heard about it. Cause I'd never even heard about that. It's, it's so interesting. And I think so much, you know, it's interesting that the BDSM community really has the best, like, and I, I, I'm not involved with it, but I've heard enough about it to be like, they really know what they're doing consent wise, because like they all like from the beginning, say they lay out the parameters, their boundaries, they know what's cool, what's not cool. And then you can like escape into the fantasy in a safe way. And yeah. I think, you know, it's just like, I don't know, it's an interesting fucking crazy time, but I think it's an interesting time to like explore consent in a way where it's like, no, you, you can, you can be a feminist and be all the things that, you know, are, are the right thing, but you can also have a rape fantasy and be able to enjoy it. If both parties are consenting and are adults and are doing it in a way where it's safe. Um, cause I find a lot of women that I talk to where like, I'm very open about this stuff. And I find a lot of women who are like, Oh my God, me too. But I always felt weird about it. Like there's this shame where it's like such a taboo thing but it's, if you look on Pornhub, like one of the most common categories is incest porn. And, but no one will admit that they're into incest porn because it's like embarrassing, but it's like, it doesn't mean you want to fuck your real family. It means that a taboo is titillating to you because it's forbidden. And it doesn't mean that you actually want to do this thing. It just means that you're fascinated by it and therefore want to play it out in a fantasy. So, I had to shut down a lot of, I had to shut down a lot of lanes uh, of porn for myself, once I started having kids, I, I, I kind of really? shut down certain things. Yeah. Like, like I can't, I don't find, I don't find daddy. I don't find the term daddy at all. Cause for I me know. that like connects with a different part of my heart. I know. I mean, for me, like I'm so close with my dad that admitting that I was into daddy daughter role play was at first I thought like, Oh my God, you have a fucked up thing with your dad. But it's like, no, it's so separate. Like it's a, I'm a character. Yeah. Dan's a character. It's not my real dad. Oh, at I, all. But I do think that like, if I 
eventually have kids. I don't know how that will affect. Like, I don't know. It's a really interesting thing. But like, I definitely did have this like hesitance to embrace this because I was like, people are going to think I want to fuck my real dad in real life. Like, that's really. And that's the thing about that's the thing about taboos is like you're you're afraid to share it. I remember I remember the first time I talked to a friend, my buddy Scott O'Brien, I will say his name. And we shared that we had masturbated. Now, when I was grew up, masturbation meant you were gay. Like, that's what it meant. Wait, where did you grow up, by the way? Uh, communist Russia. No, t- Tampa, Tampa. Fucking Florida. Florida is a fucking weird place. Oh, my God. And so, so like, I went to an all-boys Catholic high school. No one admitted they masturbated. It was like, yeah, only gay guys do that. And so, like, I had a term. I had a time when I literally had to come out the closet to myself going, like, I must be gay because I can't stop jerking off. I'm one of the weird closeted gay guys that only jerks off to women, but I'm cool with it. Like I just had to like come to terms with my own. Wait, and how old were you at this point? Do you think probably 14? That's 15, crazy. 16, 17 at, at 18 years old. I said, I said, I, I just was like, that's it. I'm cool. I'm cool with it. Like, I guess it's my secret. Like I like to jerk off. I can't, I'm a pervert. I can't, I can't share this with anyone, but that's, this is who I am. And I'm cool with it. I'm, you know, it's, it's, it was a weird, it was a really weird coming to terms with it. Cause I just thought that's what it meant. And I went, well, that's who I am. And I'm, I'm not going to share this with anyone. So no one needs to know about it. Um, I'm into women, but apparently I'm also gay. Cause I can't stop touching my dick, whatever it is. And so I remember me and my buddy, Scott O'Brien, were on the beach in Indian rocks. It was beach week. And, uh, we probably had a dip in and we were talking, we were getting ready to go to college. And he said, Hey man, do you know that thing that like, I think everyone does, but no one talks about. And immediately I went jerking off. It's weighed on my soul so heavy because I can't, I, I've. And at I've that point you're what? 17. How old are you at that point? Must've been 17. Cause I was going, no, I must've been 18. Cause I was going to college. So 18 years old. Crazy. And he goes, you know, that thing that we've, that everyone does, but no guy really talks about. And I went immediately. I knew what he was talking about. I went, yeah. yes. He goes, well, I want you to know that I do it. And, and I went, I do it too. And he oh. goes, you do. And I went, yes. And he oh. was like, he was like, I talked to dot, dot, dot two weeks ago. And he does it also. And I went yeah. for real. And it was like, it was like, I'm, I'm I, if I have my fucking, I'm going to call Obi right now. This is by the way, such a fucking huge conversation we had where it was like, I swear to God, this is going to sound crazy, but it was like, it was like finding out you weren't the only person. No, because that shame, that shame is so intense. And so like all of those feelings, they stay in your brain in a way that's like a happy moment. You don't remember, but like those shame triggers, those things that like stick in your brain that make you, I mean, I can't imagine the freedom that you would feel of being like, oh shit, okay, I'm not, I'm normal. I'm not a fuck up. I'm not a sick weirdo. Like, yeah. It was, it was crazy because it was, and then all of a sudden we went to college and the next week, all anyone talked about was jerking off. Like it was a week away and everyone's like, yeah, hey, you're going to go to the room and beat one off. And I was like, what, what? And they're like, yeah, hey, you know, you're jerking off. And I was like, in my head, I was like, what? And I remember my buddy Jeff Hartley was like, yeah, we all jerk off. And I was like, hey, asshole, a week ago, we all were agreed that it meant you were gay. But oh, now all of a sudden we all jerk. And then it was the gloves were off. Everyone was jerking off. Everyone talked about it. 
I mean, we we did a, sh- a thing in college called Sloppy Biscuit where they had us all naked uh, around the room with blindfolds on, and they put come a on a cracker. What is, is this? Come on a cracker. Yeah, yeah, same, same. I've heard about come on a cracker. Sloppy Biscuit. We all had our paddles and our books behind our back. We were blindfolded in the lounge, and they said, "Gentlemen, you have to count to three to get to the center of the room, find the biscuit, jerk off on it, and the last person to come has to eat yeah. it." go and literally everyone was just sitting there like what the fuck what the fuck and then uh some guy i won't say his name because he is a professor came up to me tapped me on the shoulder and said uh take your blindfold off and i'm like what he goes take your like whisper take your blindfold off and as i took my blindfold off i saw all the other pledge brothers in my room taking their blindfold off and there were two dudes in the center of the room just jerking off furiously just right right by the biscuit just beating off and we just watched and it was, but it was like, did anyone I, eat it? No, 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 no one ate it. It was the, the whole idea was to get someone to jerk off in the middle of the room and then just watch them. <laughs> was it, was it like a cookie or a cracker? Cause biscuit, uh, I'm a little confused. It was ours was, I'm sure it's supposed to be a cookie. I've heard it. It was a cracker. No, I've heard come on a cracker. That's what I've always heard. Uh, properly done. I heard it's supposed to be done on a Lorna Dune. Oh, <laughs> I love those. Shortbread. But, uh, but it's uh, ours was a KFC biscuit. Oh, oh, like a proper biscuit. It was, I up love KFC. It was a I KFC biscuit, and it was during. That actually, honestly, that as like a carrier for cum, I feel like it wouldn't be as like nearly as bad because it's like a dry pastry type item that like I feel like it would be like clotted cream on a scone. Like it sounds kind of delicious, <laughs> but it's so interesting that you say that because. You know, as a writer, creative person who like talks a lot about sex and talks to lots of women and just fascinated by sex in general, one thing I've really found that's so like common is that women, girls, we all started masturbating so young and so many of us like masturbated together. Like, first of all, I remember I was probably five years old. My parents bought me this book called Where Did I Come From? And it's like, an illustrated like explanation of like with pictures of like new, like when a mom and a dad love each other, they want to be as close to each other as possible. So they hug real tight and the father and they explain sex. And I remember my parents had a jacuzzi like bathtub and I would set myself up on this thing with my book, with my, where did I come from? Turn to the page where the mom and the dad are fucking and just ride the fucking jet like for hours. Like my parents could not get me out of the tub. And now it's so funny because I recently was like remembering that book and I was like, oh my God, it's gotta be somewhere. And I found the book in my dad's garage. And like Dan has the exact body type of the, the dad in the book. Like he's like a total dad bod. And I'm like, no wonder, like I've always been into this. But also I have so many memories of like being in probably elementary school, middle elementary school. First of all, oh my God, my best friend and I, when we were like seven younger, like fucking whatever, five, six, seven, one of our main games was just like taping each other down, spread eagle naked and examining, like playing doctor, examining each other's pussies and just like not touching, but just like looking and being like, okay, it looks okay. I think we'll have you back here in a couple of weeks just to check up on it. And oh, then we'll see Brenda out front. She'll take your copay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and then we would do a thing that like kind of reminds me of come on a cracker, which was that like, I would, we would have these like 
bunch of girls over at one, one girl's house. We would all take either a pillow or a stuffed animal. We would go to separate areas of, of the room and we would hump the pillow or the stuffed animal and whoever like finished first, like you'd be like, okay, done. And like, we would know that that meant like coming. Yeah. And it was just like this very, like we all did this experiment. So many, so many women that I talked to, it's just like such a common thing. And then you talk to dudes and it's like, no, like, you know, it's oh. such a, such a weird thing. Like, I'm like, Dan, you never like jerked off with, in front of, with your friends, like watch porn and jerk off together. And like, it's just not the same. And women, it, I, I don't know. It's fascinating. It's, well, it's, I, by the way, I just saw an article on whatever my Google thread of her news is that, shows me the shit that I guess I'm interested in. One of the things was uh, why women, I didn't read it because I didn't, it's, it wasn't interesting to me in that in my life, but it was like, but it just wasn't something I needed knowledge about, but it was why women use stuffed animals to masturbate. I didn't click on it. Oh, I'm but so curious about reading what's that. Yeah. Interesting is there are guys, there are guys who do masturbate in front of other guys. Like yeah. i I've a, we have a, definitely had friends of guys who just take their dick out and start jerking off. And by the way, those are also the same guys that do it in front of girls. Also, like it's like Without consent. Like yeah, there's like there is that guy that does yeah. that. Yeah. By the way, they they do it to guys and girls alike. Like for whatever reason, I remember we had a friend who just jerked off into a Gatorade bottle on a road trip, and we were like, "Why would you do that?" And he was like, "I needed to." And you're like, hey, we're in the car with you. And he was like, so? And we're like, oh my God, was he watching porn? No, he was, I, I don't know if, I don't know if he was thinking about it. I don't know why. There's a lot of guys. There's a like, I, I mean, there are actually famous comedians that I know that ha have, are guys that are, do, that do that stuff. I was so, for me, masturbation was so secretive and yeah. quiet and never to be done in front of other people. And I don't have like I definitely, like as a kid, I remember like feeling major shame and worried like when my parents would ever, like a close call of them like walking in, I'd be like, whoa, no, like, you know, I was so scared. And I remember one time, this was like a crazy fucking weird fever dream. We, we were on our like last family vacation before my parents split up. It was like the last, like, let's try to make it work and go on this road trip. It was me, my mom, my dad, my sister, and like we had a suburban and we like had all the back seat down. Like there was like the front seat and then the middle row and then the back seat was like turned into like a bed. So I was back there, Sloan, my sister was in the middle and my parents were in the front. So I had like some privacy. I was under blankets and I was listening to the Phantom of the Opera the musical soundtrack. And there are, it's a little bit of a rapey, like there's there when he's like, Christine, you will like, you know, there's like a, an, there's something sexual about it, or at least to eight year old me, like I did feel. So I was masturbating under the covers in the backseat of the car, listening to the Phantom of the Opera, using that as my like simulation. And all of a sudden we get into a fucking car accident of deer ran into the side of our car. Like we didn't even hit the deer. The deer ran into the side of our car. Oh. And all of a sudden I'm like, well, fuck did they like first things first? Like did my family just found out, find out that I was like masturbating? Do they know? Do they know? Did I cause this? Like suddenly I think in my mind, and maybe this is just me being a total fucking piece of shit loser trying to find connections. But like some part of me connected like death and sex in that moment. Cause I'm like, 
I come out of the car. There's like this bloodied, like deer carcass on the road dying. And I'm just like, did I cause this masturbation? Did this, you know, it's just like such a strange, surreal thing. It's like Jim Morrison's moment with the Native Americans as a kid on the side of the road from the doors. This is the end. Yeah, it's so funny. My wife, we watched last night. We watched. um, We were. I'm. I'm fascinated by Gwyneth Paltrow right now. Like I'm just. I'm fascinated by a lot. Yeah. I can't tell if it's an act. I can't tell if she is really interested in like wellness or if it's a brand or I don't, I, I can't tell what it is. Right. Cause you, we all get approached by brands that are like, Hey, we want you to do this. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I could get into that. And you're, and then they're like, well, we need you like all, I can't tell. I can't tell. Yeah. So last night I said, I was talking to my wife about it. And she goes, well, I don't know. Let's watch an episode of goop. So we watched Wait, it on Netflix. It's a show now. I didn't even know it was a show. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's that's why I, I, See, I sniff, I, I have a problem where I, sometimes I have a hard time. I don't know if you do this with Dan when you watch TV, but you, you'll pick out, for me, it's always been um, my two strong suits where I can find them are hypocrisy in art and, uh, and poor production. So like, and, and I've, I've raised two daughters who will highlight poor production when they notice it. And they'll be like, how does that, how are we getting audio on that? That guy, does that guy have a mic? <laughs> So like, <laughs> I love it. And so, um, so I said, I, I'm curious t- to watch Goop. So now it's a TV show on Netflix where it's actually a really great premise. It's not, it's not perfectly done in my opinion, because I would have Gwyneth Paltrow do all the stuff, but then we start leaning into the Chelsea Handler brand of what she was doing, you know, but, but it's not, a, it's all about female sexual wellness. And all I'll say is the one on female orgasms was fun interesting enlightening and then it got me to having sex last night because really? my wife, oh yeah my wife watched it and then all of a sudden was like turn the tv off she's like well i know what we're doing and i was oh, like what shit. oh yeah but it was but it was interesting to see all the women that had issues with their sexuality and my not sexuality but like their sexual wellness yeah and my wife like, my wife had that my wife had issues yeah. with her sexual wellness just in like Orga- but like she's not, more- able, not able to come or what? I wouldn't, I, I would never want to put words in her mouth because I don't really know. But all I know is that uh, for her, sex wasn't all about the orgasm. It was about, you know, the connection or whatever. And I don't yeah. know what, and I really haven't asked, and I probably don't want to ask what her past was like. But I know that like she had never masturbated. She wasn't like a person like that touched herself. And wow. so all that was, and I think her mom. Was she religious? Or no, no. no. Southern Baptist, yes. But more so, I think, and this is allegedly, I'm not certain, but I think her mom was very sexual and very open and talked about masturbation. And I think for whatever reason, that shut those doors to her. She was like, ugh. Yeah. And so, like, my wife never masturbated, none of that stuff. And I, and I mean, I, I, we didn't, I, I remember the first time that I really, really, really remember giving her an orgasm i think we had like a two-year-old you know like like that's when or like maybe a little maybe it was younger than that but georgia was probably two yeah and and but it was like it's crazy because it never men never it was like almost like the onus was never on men it was like the man's pleasure what was was first and foremost yeah 
And so, but yeah, watching this last night, it was really enlightening to talk about the female orgasm and how, um, I don't know. I just, I, 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 these conversations I think are so important because they didn't happen when I was a kid. And yeah. I, I would, I kept saying, I would, I would love to do go talk to schools and just go into all boys Catholic high schools. It goes, it doesn't mean you're gay guys jerk off. It's what yeah. we all do. Like yeah. I wanted to like be the, the, uh, Johnny Appleseed of jerking off to go like <laughs> everyone it's because I've had so the much word. yeah you know yeah no I think it's really interesting how, how old are your daughters now 15 and 13 and have you had like like this is my like so I have a niece and a nephew yeah and my nephew is definitely at the age where like he sometimes will like be playing with his dick and I'm like Right. That's like, I, I, cause I'm so careful about, and my sister too, like, we're all so careful about not wanting to shame them and yeah, to be like, no, that's a normal, important. totally normal thing to do. But you do that in your room when you're alone and, and not here at dinner, you know, like I would love, I, I would love to be, I would love to be, um, I would love to be open and honest like that. I don't, I don't know if I got that in me. Like I would love if, to say to my daughters, no, this is my wife could definitely say to that. My but wife, like, is, but, but like when they were kids, did you ever have the moment when it was like, okay, Georgia, Isla, like you're taking your pussy out at dinner. You're two years no. old. Like don't No. No, they never did that. They, but they, really? Wow. Yeah. I remember they had a friend one time. <laughs> they had a friend one time. I had a, um, I had plantar fasciitis. So I had this really awesome foot massager and, um, I walked in the living room one time and one of their friends was just sitting on it like, uh, and I was like, ah, uh, walked out and I was like, oh, Leanne, you want to get that kid off my fucking foot massager? <laughs> That's the closest we've oh ever come. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I mean, I think back to all the times, like I, I now ask my parents, I'm like, you knew I was like, why I was in the bath that long. Right. And they're like, no, we just thought you loved it. Like they really, and I, I got away with it. I like got away with it so many times where I was like, so you didn't know like the Phantom of the Opera, like deer killing story, like none of that. And I was like, so I was really like good at sneaking in my masturbation sessions. Like it's so funny. The first time I ever masturbated was, uh, uh, someone had a pool hose, like, like the gun hose in the pool. And I, I don't know, even know how it started. I, I know how it ended, but I, but I put it on my dick and then all of a sudden I had an orgasm and I was like, and it was so funny because I, I'd clearly had them before during dreams. I used to have yeah. uh, wet dreams that I was riding horses. Like if I was riding a horse in a dream, I'd have a wet dream. It was oh, fucking, so pure. Yeah, I, you're so pure. I was hence obsessed with horses. I was oh obsessed my God, me with horses. Too. I loved horses. I had all those plastic figurines of a horse. Oh up. my God. I have so, I have a whole collection of horses. I was so into them. Like, Oh. so into them and now it's like well yeah every girl is because they're masturbating on top of them like obviously <laughs> but I was like no I honestly at this by this point in my life I'm about to be 35 I genuinely as a child thought by now like my main mode of transportation would be a horse oh oh my and, god yeah, I feel I like I'm eating someone that is my self I swore by this time in life when I was in first grade I was like I'll definitely have a horse I we'll see how I get around yeah. No, I honestly thought it would be like, no, I'm not going to drive a car. I'm going to have a horse and we're going to be friends and I'll live with a horse. And that's I, what else would happen? Why? My would dad started a bank account for me. My, when I was in first grade, my dad 
had a had an office on Bird Street in Tampa. That's right by the for everyone in Tampa. That's right by the Greyhound track off of two seventy five. Right, and there was a bank underneath my dad's office. I was in first grade, maybe maybe before first grade, and my dad's. I got a hundred dollar uh, bond, and my dad started a bank account for me for a horse, and he didn't. He said, I remember we went down, we started a bank account and I was like, I was like, guys, it's awesome. And he was like, yeah, that's great. You're going to save up. I go save up. And yeah. And he was like, what do you think you're going to do with your money? I said, I, without even a bit, I go, I'm buying a horse. <laughs> he was like, so my dad and my relationship is he goes, we're not getting a fucking horse. Oh, wait, hold on. Hold on one second. Hold on one second. I'm paying for it. And he goes, oh, I don't give a fuck if you're paying for it. He was like where are we keeping a horse? And I was like, I'll keep it in my room. And he was like, <laughs> a horse in your room. I said, dad, I go, it's my money. I can do with my money what I want to do with my money. Yeah. I'm getting a horse. And he was like, all right, we're getting rid of this fucking bank account. <laughs> no, I was so I feel like Bert. I honestly feel like maybe we should like co-invest in a horse that we keep at like a shared location. Oh. We both take care of the horse. We both like, you know, take part in its nurturing and upbringing. We ride the horse like I might do bareback. You can do whatever. I might do Western. I'm not so much for English anymore. I think it's a little like too, like just a little too like, nah. but I would love to get back into horsing. You me on the back of the horse just until I come and I'm like, all right, I'm done. I'm done. Bye. So I want to clean up my horse. <laughs> what does it need? Hay and carrots? Yeah, fine. <laughs> <laughs> when, uh, what's it like this is a, a weird pivot of a question okay what's it like growing up in LA and then and then seeing parts of LA what like when you're like a, an adult and going I never knew this was in my town or like or like or like growing up did you grow up in the valley okay so I will say this I grew up in the valley we lived here till I was eight and then when my parents got divorced my mom moved to Santa Monica my dad stayed in the Valley and I lived half and half with them. And so I would commute to school from, you know, whatever. But the point is that was the first time where I was like, Oh, I'm from the Valley. Like that's frowned upon. Like people with a three one Oh area code from Santa Monica are higher status. Therefore I want to be that. So like, even though I lived half and half with each parent, I tried to identify myself as a West Sider as being from Santa Monica. And I remember very clearly, like the first time when I got my first cell phone, I was like 13 and my dad was the one to take me to the store. So he took me to the AT&T store on Ventura Boulevard in the Valley oh. and they're giving me the cell phone. I'm so excited. And they start giving me the number and I'm like, I'm sorry, what? 818? No. No, 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 no. This won't do it. I have to have a 310. I absolutely have to have a 310 area code. Like it meant so much to me to be, to get to that status of being a 310. So I got the 310 area code and I still have the same phone number to this day, the same cell phone number since I was 13. And now after all these years, I've lived all over. I've lived on in Venice. I've lived in Los Feliz. I lived in Hollywood. Now I'm back in the Valley. Dan and I bought, well, Dan paid for, but I live in a house in the Valley and I'm back in literally like my hometown zip code. My dad lives like so close. Like we run into my dad for quarantine. We'd like run into him at our like local diner. Um, and now I'm like, 
realizing how much of me is a valley girl, a valley woman, and that I was just like trying to push away this side of me that I thought was low class or less than. And now as an adult, I embrace it. And I'm like, I fucking love the Valley. I love it. Like there were for so long, I was like, I'll never go back to the Valley. I would only live like in a Silver Lake or Eagle Rock or like somewhere cool. And now I'm like, I'm, I'm from the fucking, like, I'm a Valley girl. I'm a, I, it's in my blood and I'm, I love it. And, uh, it's so interesting. I wonder if my daughter's because I had a real stigma about moving out to the Valley. Are you I in lived, the Valley too? Oh yeah, I'm in the Valley. I'm, I'm curious. I'm curious how close we are to each other. I know after, after this, we can, we can like tell each other the actual, yeah. I Cause love there's it. good parts of the Valley and there's bad parts of the Valley too. I'm in, <laughs> I'm in like a, like pretty good, but I'm not like, I'm not South of, uh, South of Ventura. Damn, we I'm almost not- bought a house South of Ventura and, uh, they, it was more than I wanted to spend. It was less of a house than I liked. I really liked the way it was set up protection wise. It was like one little gate up and it was a ton of stairs and it was like three stories above the, above the road. It was a really great house. I didn't like the living room. I thought the living room sucked. I'm glad I didn't buy that. I'm really glad I didn't buy this house. But I mean, from what I can see, if you're in your house right now, from what I can see. It oh no, my house sucks. We haven't, by the way, I'm not, I say that, no saying acknowledging i'm very lucky to have a house at all of course but um but the house we live in is very small uh we bought this when i when i first got on travel channel and so this was all based around my budget of then and then in a weird way we didn't need it's crazy we didn't need much more we just kind of were very comfortable and i'm on the road all the time so it was really just three people living in the house and everyone loved and we redid it and put a pool in and like we made it what we wanted it to be and it was like more than we ever wanted and it was so affordable like i remember i, I think i've said this on the podcast but i'll say it again i think our our mortgage is like 2500 bucks a month and so the valley we don't need, yeah yeah and the valley we, and is we, the way to go i i hate when people like talk shit on the valley now i'm i'm very like I mean, I don't give a shit, but I'm just like, now I know where my, uh, where my roots are and I'm back here and I'm fucking proud. And I, I, had, I had a real hard time out here. And I, and, and, and then we looked at my, and I remember my wife saying, when we looked at that other house, she goes, well, it's south of the boulevard. And I was like, I'd never heard that phrase before. And I go, what's yeah. that mean? She goes, well, that's why it's a little extra. It's south of the boulevard. And I go, I don't really give a fuck about that. She was like, what? She's like, I thought you would of all people would care. And I go, no, I really don't care. And she goes, get me down near fucking Burbank Boulevard. I'm happy. Like, get me down there. Bitch. I can't wait. Like, I, I can't wait till this funny. podcast is over and I can tell you where, I I, like, I'm, I, that's the part, you know, I back, just back in the day when, when podcast starting and Dan's an, an OG podcaster, right? Yeah. Yeah. We just used to t- share that on the fucking podcast. No, I know that's, I mean, one of the reasons we moved, not one, I mean, I also didn't like that house and I wanted to like get, I thought it was very important. Like if we were moving in together to establish our shared space, even though I don't have enough money to contribute to it financially, it's his house, but like I needed to have, build a space together. But yeah. like people knew where he lived from, yeah, from the, and then, and then it was like a whole thing when we, when he bought this house, it became a thing of it. Like it got posted in the LA times. It was like this whole thing. I was like, what the fuck? So now people know where we live. Why? why? That's so dumb. There are like a couple of, you know, Nazis who really hate Dan because he doesn't like Trump. Me and my buddy, me and my buddy bought houses at the same time. Um, He bought a a very, very 
amazing house. And, uh, and I, I bought it. This is recently, we bought it a new house that we were going to try to do. I, I, I'm, I'm very, um, I don't know if it's fiscally responsible or just stingy. Like I love having some money so I don't have to worry about shit. Yeah. Cause I never had that in my entire life. Me, I had it growing up, but not like as an adult. Yeah. So right now we've kind of put everything on pause, but when we did it, we were very cognizant. Um, and we have a friend that's pretty famous of like, how do we keep our names out of the public register? Yeah. How do we like, so you did we, like a trust, you did a trust. So we both did trusts and we both, uh, it was, it was, a, it's a big pain in the ass, but yeah. guess what is fucking the Ho- Hollywood reporter posted his sale in the Hollywood reporter and it gave, no like yeah. And he was like, what the fuck? Like, and it's just shitty real estate agents going, I sold a famous person a house. So uh, I want credit for it. So that, and all that does is makes every famous person never want to work with ever of those real estate agents ever. I got a, I got an Orthodox Jew, man. They're the fucking best. I'm telling you right now. Dude, my woman, neighborhood is all, I'm, I'm Jewish. My name, I'm not like re- very religious, but the neighborhood is all Orthodox Jews. So Dan, now, whenever we like go out for walks, he's always like, make sure they know like the, he, cause he's not Jewish. And he's like, he wants to make sure that they know I'm Jewish. So like we're part of the neighborhood and he's like, say the thing, say sh- Shabbat Shalom or whatever, like do it. And I was like, Dan, yeah. I'm not like, I'm not Orthodox. I, they, they think I'm, I'm, I'm to them. I'm a goy. Like it doesn't even matter, but I, yeah, I love being, I'm, I love being a Valley Jew. Did you ever know who Brody Stevens was? Yes. Okay. I didn't know him personally. Dan knew him and like, I had seen him perform a couple of times. I loved his whole Valley 818 thing. And funny. He made my daughter's proud of the valley like really? yeah because well my you know so he used to live real close to me and so yeah. i would see him at our star the our starbucks i'd see him every single oh my day. god then we have the same starbucks because i saw him at the starbucks so i know which one you're talking about i've seen him there but so, I mean, before my daughters would see him we'd be walking back from oh my god, did they go to middle school <laughs> both of my I went daughters there. Like, i went to i went to Oh my so god! Did Adam Carolla? <laughs> oh my god, he did! Hilarious. Oh yeah, you know what? I know something interesting. Well, Adam Carolla one time I did his podcast and he was like, uh, and and I thought we were gonna drink, so I didn't drive. And he was like, "Oh no, I, I got to do stuff." And he was like, "You need to ride home." And I was like, "I don't like being around famous people normally. Like it makes me like per, like in one on one, it makes me very uncomfortable." But yeah. I was so I'd never take a ride home from someone like him. Yeah, but I did because I was like, "Well, an Uber's gonna take forever. He's closing up his." podcast studio like he's leaving so i was like yeah i'll take a ride and he's like tell me how to get your house so i told him and he i go and he goes hey i uh i used to live over there and i said what he was like yeah and, he, and so he's driving to me to my house he goes i used to live like a block he goes hey man can we go by my childhood house and i was like yeah oh. and he started going through and all my friends houses that my friends live in now with their kids he's pointing out going oh you know who lived here dot dot no dot. way like, yeah and then he went and showed us his house and I, and I say this because I, I don't know what Adam shared or hasn't shared about growing up, but he lived in a house that was like a, a very, very modest house. But more importantly, the porch had been turned into a bedroom and he grew up on the porch of his own house. No. And he had like, whenever people think that Adam Carolla grew up with any sort of privilege, they're out of their fucking mind. Like wow. he, he had a, I think he had like a legit blue collar, 
white collar, not white collar, blue, like blue collar, blue yeah. collar, blue collar. The, yeah. the rough one. Yeah. And he's like, yeah. And then he, my kids went to, and so he was like, he was like, I used to go, can't go to, I go, yeah. And he goes, I used to have to jump the fence every morning. And I was like, are you like, and so it's crazy to know people that grew up around here. Cause it's like, oh yeah, I went to. Well, yeah. it, it's really crazy because as someone who grew up here, most of my friends, I mean, I have some friends who are still here, but like most of them left at some point to go to New York or San Francisco or whatever. And then you start working in the business, you start meeting people and you're the weird one for being from LA because everyone else yeah. is a transplant. So everyone's like, you grew up here? What is that like? What? And I'm just like, I don't know. I'm too lazy to, I didn't go anywhere else. I've just stayed here. Like I've literally never lived outside of LA with the exception of like, I shot a show that went for three seasons that we shot in New York. So for like half the year, I lived in New York for three years. But other than that, I've never left LA. And like, I have no, uh, I can't even imagine leaving LA, even though I don't, you know, it's not, it's just now I'm here and it's, and it's life. And it's just bizarre. Yeah. Brody gave my daughters pride in the Valley because they would, and not that my daughters would have anything other than, I don't think they live in a world that's very different, but they, um, We'd walk and we'd see him and he'd go, uh, Georgia Kreischer, 818 till she dies. And Aww. and so, yeah, we saw that we saw him in the hangover the other night and both my kids lit up. They're like, it's Brody. And I was like, oh, yeah, Brody's in the hangover. I was like, yeah. was that so hard to, like, break the news to them when that happened? Uh, yeah. It, you know, I had, I'd had a really, really, really close friend kill himself like two summers before. And, and it was like we were on vacation when it happened and it was really rough to deal with. And um, they witnessed it. They saw me like it was I couldn't like I'd cry, I'd cry for no reason. Like it was it was like one of my best friends. And um, so I don't know. They, I, they when Brody passed, I told them and they were like, oh, that stinks. And I was like, yeah. And then like there's like it was fun to see him because he always brought energy was always so up joyful. here. And my daughters would see him and they'd go, dad, Brody Stevens. Aww. And I, and so it was just, I mean, you know, whatever, but, but can yeah. I I was question, just, sure. Can I ask you a question about um, just what you, something you just said just made me realize like crying in front of your daughters, like what, <laughs> because I, my dad is a very, both my parents are very like sensitive artists. So like they both do cry a lot. And like, I remember as a child, it being something that was so like heavy and hard to deal with. And now it's like, I know how to deal with it. And it's a beautiful thing more so, but like, I'm just curious as a father, how, how often, like when was the first time that you cried in front of your daughters and like, how did they deal with it? Uh, my wife is a bully. So the first time I cried was probably watching a movie and they made fun of me like aggressively and they still to this day when I'm, when I cry, they start start making fun of me and they're like, Oh, dad's anytime it's a, anytime they feel like they're about to cry in a movie, they light me up first and then no one. Oh, I like that tradition. That's beautiful. Now cut to, uh, probably five years ago. I'm guessing maybe, maybe seven years ago. Uh, our dog, Pris Priscilla has a, defective knee that we go in we get one surgery that she should be fine looks like her other knee is bad they're like okay we'll fix the other knee and as they do the other knee they realize both knees are bad now they're gonna have to do both knees which is super problematic it's gonna be expensive and the doctor calls i'm on the treadmill i'm watching greg giraldo's special on uh on my tv 
And uh, he says, you know, should we just, I think we should just put her down. No. And I kind of was like, I was like, no, 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 no. And he's like, well, it's going to be super expensive and we're going to have to keep her here. Uh, you know, like after it's going to be a, l- a lot of money, you know, you, it's something definitely you should think about. He's like, listen, I have her under right now. So I can simply put her down right now. Oh, just let never her go know peacefully it. And, and I'm yeah. like, yeah, she'll go peacefully. She's under, we can put her down right now. And he's like, listen, give it a couple minutes. Talk to your wife. And I melt down. I'm on the treadmill. I start crying. And I, and I, and I'm just like, this is my dog. And I go into the house and I, the girls, when the girls shared a room, Leanne's in the room with the girls and they see me crying and they all start making fun of me. Right. The the girls are like, Oh, dad's crying. Dad's crying. Oh, you fucking burnt them. You burnt them. My wife goes, honey, uh, girls, if dad's crying right now, we're all about to be crying in a couple minutes. And they're like, what? And they're like, she's like, this isn't a movie. Dad's crying for a real reason. What's going on? And I said, they want to put down Paris. And then everyone's like, wait, what? And just sobbing, crying. And the girls were like, the girls were like, this is a one. How old were they? How old were Georgia and Isla? Uh, Probably, I'm going to say Georgia was maybe seven Seven and five, I'm guessing. Oh, I'm that guessing. Is so up. That is so and fucked up. They were like, they pulled the card. They were like, Dad, you're gone because you work all the time. You only work because we have money. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Spend the money to save Pris's life. Save the money. So we ended up spending so much goddamn money on so this much. dog. Because I've been, I Barbara, my dog has been a fucking, yeah. What, how long, wait, so did you spend the money? Uh, five knee surgeries in total. And by the way, I just told you about the third the first three we had two more after that we almost did a full knee replacement wait how old was she when it was first a thing uh a year and a half oh shit okay yeah and she's still alive she's still alive she's still alive yeah she's still alive and toe touching still alive i thought she's gonna be dead right now oh no she's still alive we just got another dog to keep her younger and she is like younger than she's ever been oh my god so it it was worth it it was worth it for all the, the finances and we oh. just didn't get the kitchen we wanted when we did the remodel. <laughs> but it's worth it. It's so worth it. Yeah. Barbara, my dog is who knows how old I found her 11 years ago, but like <laughs> we got one of those too. Who knows like, how old? I mean, who the fuck knows? And if she's even a real dog or a <laughs> raccoon, like I don't even know. She's so like, I've had her for so long. We're so codependent and close, but like, she's still such a bitch. Like I'll try to cuddle her and she'll be like, ah, but it's like, then she'll come up to me in the morning while I'm like peeing and she'll put her paws and she'll be like, Hey, like we just have this. Yeah. But she has had lung cancer for now years. She keeps getting declared like about to die. They keep going. (laughs) Oncologists keep saying like, she has one to three months to live, but this has been going on (laughs) since like 2017. And so we've just had this weird thing where I'm just like, okay, well, why are you? And like, every time her appetite shifts, I'm like, oh, is it a thing? And she's on chemo, but day to day, she seems like a totally normal dog. She has more energy than the other two dogs. So it's like, I mean, really, I mean, Wilfred, it all comes back to Wilfred. Our relationships with our dogs are like way more complex than even the ones with humans, I think. It's, it really is. Uh, yeah, well, we, have a, we have a rescue, Mona. And, uh, she has been, she is like, just on like Betty the bull. She's just lost an eye. She 
is like I'm just this dog will not die and she's oh. older than everyone else in the house she uh, she's I think she's pretty much blind she doesn't speak English like it's just a <laughs> it's the fuck but man every other dog that we've gotten has been just a house of cards anything little thing just takes them down this yeah. Mona is a rescue we don't know what she is we don't know how old she is and yeah. she just will live forever I mean, that's what I want to think about Barbara, but I can't even go there emotionally or else like I, I have to just always expect she's going to die this day or else I would not be able to like process like I'm always like, but um, yeah. Do you think it made you a better uh, producer slash showrunner or whatever, whatever title you want to consider? But do you think it, it taught you how to navigate Hollywood better by being the child of divorced parents? Yes. Definitely. Really smart question because I often feel like I've been in positions where it's like two different people in power, whether it's like a writing partner and a director or a showrunner and a director and me in the middle as like a co-EP navigating, like trying to make both parties being like, I love you. I'm trying to help you. Like, here's what I use, you know, like managing, negotiating. And a lot of times it's like two toxic men in those positions. And you're, and I'm the woman being like, all right. So I don't know. I don't know. It's just like a weird, yes. I, back to your question. I think it is, it's, I politically do compare, compared to like divorced parents, but with like, toxic men at the helm of toxic men are so much worse than toxic women. Mm, they're both. I don't know. I will say this. Oh, you know how, like I mentioned, there was one really mean review about my show. Oh yeah. If it was written by a man, I would be able to be like, eh, whatever it was written by a woman. It's like, so, so much more painful because it was written by a woman. Um, so I don't know. But funny, I used to have a real, I used to have a real, a real chip on my shoulder towards toxic women. And then, and then for the first time ever, and I, I don't know what it was, you know, it's, it's interesting. When the group's not coming after you, you don't really raise your, a lot of people in this world don't really say much, you know, it's like, uh, it's like that old, that old poem uh, about hit about Nazi Germany. When they came for the gypsies, I, I didn't say anything. When they came for the homosexuals, I didn't say anything. You know, it's and it's interesting. I had a run. I've had run-ins in my adult life in the last, say, eight nine years with toxic men. And there is something where I just started. I looked at toxic women and going, "No, that that is a that is that is almost like a byproduct of what men have done." Toxic men just yes. fucking suck. No, it's interesting because like I know women in their like late 60s, early 70s who are successful in like their job, but they had to get there by like being able to contend with like a lot of toxic masculinity. So they had to like acquire that skill set as well. So it was interesting. Like I recently worked with someone who was like of an older generation and there was this thing where I was like, there's just this, you can connect, but there's this difference of like, just she had to come up in a time where she was, was like the only woman and she had to like do whatever she needed to do to get taken seriously. And like, 
Yeah, it's like yeah. Fiona Apple just, I think it was, no, no, Alanis Morissette yesterday. By the way, this is how interesting my Google News Feed is. I have, uh, I have things about, and my new Google News Feed should speak volumes about me. But one of the things was that came up was Alanis Morissette said, any woman in Hollywood has been sexually assaulted. That is just Hollywood. Like it was like, I bet yeah. I'm paraphrasing horrifically, but well, you wait, go, is this also the same news alert that gave you the stuffed animal thing. Yep. Can you yep. send, can you say, I feel like I need to get some of these news alerts. Cause my news alerts suck so bad. It makes me second guess who I am as a man. Number one's always Trump. Number one's Trump. Anything Orthodox Jewish pops up, anything sports, uh, surfing. Wait, why Orthodox Jewish? I have no fucking idea. I think because we got our bought our house through an Orthodox Jewish lady. Oh. And so I think I must have Googled something about her or her culture. We have a starter, which is, you know, uh, like a, a sourdough starter from Jerusalem. <laughs> so so yeah. whatever that, anything sports, MMA, anything sharks or surfing, Brad MMA, Pitt. Marshall I am big on Brad Pitt. Wait, what about Brad Pitt? He is every day. I get something about Brad Pitt. Why? Every day. Search him a lot. Uh, I my daughters make fun of me. Anything Kim Jong Un or Kim Jong Kim Song. Wait, is he technically brain dead or fully dead? What's happening with that? I haven't checked today. I don't know. I I don't. I it says right now. Kim Jong-un's sister reportedly has been gaining power in North Korea. Mm-hmm. Kim Jong-un could be at luxury villa while new coastal satellites might inform us. Wait, Bert, I have a question. Shoot. So this podcast that we're doing right now, it's go- you're going to put it out okay. there. And then yeah. how many people actually get this far into the podcast, do you, do you think? You know what's so crazy? For whatever reason, I have a high rate of retention. Really? And I, I don't know why. In everything. I mean, no, no offense. I didn't mean it. No, 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 no. Oh, uh, it's more of a self-deprecating. I'm just like, it's so people are still listening. To oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I think, I, I, by the way, this is, I can, Halston will t- attest to this. I can always tell when it's a good podcast. You can tell, you can tell when I can tell it's a good podcast because I listen. I'm on my knees. Normally, I'm like, like this or like this. But if I'm on my knees, it's a good podcast. Um, for whatever reason, I have a high rate of retention. So like on YouTube, the average person watches my video for like an hour and 15 minutes. So, so like usually they get stats. You've got all the stats, man. I'm fascinated by, I think sometimes those stats can pay. Like when I do a a comedy special, I'm very attentive to the way I structure it because I don't want to structure it in a way where I lose your attention. So I will start off very, always start off with, my first words I'll say will be a joke. Like a, it'll be a joke within mm-hmm. the first 15, 20 seconds of me being on stage. And the show is going to start right then. And then I want my closer, my closer to probably be around uh, at 20 minutes. But one of my best jokes better be within the first eight. And so like I kind of structure a special that way. Like a mathematician. Well, no, I, it's just it's like they give you the information on algorithms of when you're losing people. So right. why not use that to your advantage you know i yeah, think okay. and which leads me to quibi i took a meeting with quibi and i thought the future is quibi my attention span for a vlog is like eight yeah. minutes like fucking 10 minutes so i i find what did you find it harder to create content for a shorter arc than maybe say like like a 22 minute arc or an, a 46 minute whatever i liked it 
because it was different from what I had done before. And it was like a little bit of a challenge to be like, okay, so like how did, and it lent itself really well because it's a small story where I was like, this is cool in 10 minutes. And yeah. then the really cool thing about Quibi is that the episodes do not have to be uniform in length. So you don't, it can be 10 or less, just not over 10. So some episodes are like seven minutes because when I was editing, I'd be like, the scene, like not essential to the story, not that funny, doesn't work, don't need it, cut it out. Now it's a seven minute episode. And that was fine. So that was super cool to be able to like, just uh, not worry about having to like fill content with stuff that sucks. Yeah. Do you get numbers from Quibi? Not directly. I've like kind of asked, I've kind of been like, so what, you know, and they're kind of like, well, like the people that I'm friendly with, they're like, we know this is the feedback I've gotten. It's trending on the app. But what does that mean? I don't know. I don't know. All I know is that I will say this. Jeffrey Katzenberg. Yes. You know, had a phone call with him today. Loves the show. Very supportive. From the beginning, he's the reason, not him, but this guy, Colin Davis, who's an executive at Quibi who used to work at TBS, who brought the show over. So, yeah. Jeffrey Katzenberg, great guy. Yeah. I, I, uh, the first person, uh, I'll tell you right now, I just pulled up Quibi. It's the very first person I think, first thing I saw. I think that's just because you already were looking me up, though. I think it's an no. algorithmic. Oh. Do you think? Probably. I don't want to count my, I mean, knock on wood, Mashuga. I don't know. You know, I, I, I don't think it just comes up. I don't know. Is it trending? Am I trending? I'm so scared of being canceled. I don't want to trend or be canceled. I'm scared. <laughs> I think you're doing amazing. I mean, I think here's the thing people that, are really mean out there. You know, it's like really, um, it's hard to like contend with the internet world. It's you know, it's a lot of. I try to. I, I try to take it with a grain of salt, but it, you can't help it. It's like that one mean comment defines how you fa- feel about yourself. And I think, I really think that half of the mean comments out there, people wouldn't put out if they knew that, if they knew that how it would make you feel. I really feel that way. And I, no. it took, you know, I, I said, Tom and Sigur and I were doing a podcast and I said something shitty about some show. I just watched some show on TV yeah. And I just said, and I just did a podcast with Tom and we're looking to fill content. And I just go, hey, have you seen this? Oh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. Whatever, whatever I said. And then oh. the girl just goes, hey, man, I, it took me like six months to fucking sell that I show. I know. Make that show. Really and then to hear a comic that I really like shitting on it really hurt I my know. Mind. It's fucked up. It's like, I, I think it is a good lesson for us to learn. And like, you don't need to all shout our opinions. Like, let's let stuff be. And I don't know. I just, I've learned a lot of lessons from having this one terrible terrible review that like literally um like i would love to just meet this woman so bad it's, like now i'm obsessed with her like now i'm obsessed with the woman who wrote this mean review i can't stop thinking about her you know she's, oh, in, my, she's in my she's in my like subconscious mind now and oh, i can tell you about one person who left one comment who i can't stop thinking about and just left a fucking dot dot i there's a guy who left a comment on Twitter to me, probably it had to be at least seven years ago, seven fucking years ago. And he said one thing about me and he's from Minnesota 
And I think about, he's all he said was your comedy's garbage. You get drunk, you're fat and you tell the same story over and over and over again. You don't write new material. You might as well quit. Now, by the way, these are all the things I think about myself, right? So I'm like, I'm like, wow, you nailed it on every aspect. These are the things I worry about. Yeah. And then I'm sitting there going, I, I don't think I, I don't, maybe I was, I don't get drunk on stage. I drink sometimes. I don't get drunk. And then I was like, I'm fat, but I'm not fatter than the average Minnesota. And then I'm like, Hold on. <laughs> and then I'm, like I'm defending it to this guy who, by the way, is probably 17 years old. And I know, I know, I like, know. Fuck this, fuck this guy, he's not my favorite. He doesn't talk about rape. He doesn't talk about black people. He doesn't talk about the shit that I am into. Yeah. I like good rape jokes. I, fuck you, you're a you're soft comic. Yeah. And, then, and then I think about this one guy's comment. I think about where he sat in the audience that night. I th- and by the way, I went and saw your show. You tell the same story over and over again. All, get some new material. All you tell is a machine story. And I'm like, first of all, but like, and then I'm now I'm defending a business model that's working well. Like clearly I'm I'm doing okay, oh, and I've I've decided to stick by these these tenets of of this business model. Fuck this guy, and so I don't say fuck that woman. Obviously, whatever you can get positive out of a bad review, try to take out of. But fuck her. Like who gives a fuck? You know, it's been like a really interesting especially to process during quarantine and just this whole thing. And I realize I'm coming from a place of like extreme fucking privilege that these are my problems that I'm dealing with. Like I recognize that. And Everyone's like, problems, you know, no matter how small are still their problems. So like you, that my you, therapist would say too. Yeah. You can't you look, <laughs> I know you. that you, I, I trust me. We're in the same exact boat when my special aired and all press was pulled and I didn't have an ability to promote it. And I felt, I woke up and I was like, woe is me, Bert. You got, you, 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 uh, this is all, of course this happened to you. You work all this hard on special and now you can't promote it. No one's going to do any press because this fucking virus, goddamn fucking virus. Yeah. And then I walked out back and I went, okay, this is definitely your thing. But there are people with bigger problems, bigger fish to fry. People are dying. People are, you know, and I go, I go put in perspective. You know what? And this is what I'd say to you. First of all, you have, you have a great product out at a time when people are looking for a distraction. You're on one of the number one platforms that people are talking about in the world right now. That is, these are all great things to have. And there will be some reviewers out there that maybe didn't get out of life what they thought they wanted to get. And they're stuck in a room in New York and they feel like they're sharing all the same air, like a cruise ship with all 80 floors of their people. And maybe they caught you. And I think a lot of reviewers would say this. Maybe they caught your product at the wrong time. And maybe they would say it differently the same way we'd say it about them. Yeah. Oh, fuck them. There should be a it's just, like funny. Cause it's so on the nose. Cause the show is meta. So like her being a critic, like the whole thing is just on itself like just like oh so she didn't get the show at all and it was just it was such a horrible experience but but like don't tell me listen 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 i have a joke in my interviews the bad reviews neither of them should have that much importance that's the bigger that's the karate kid lesson that you would learn that's the wax on wax off where it'd be like you need to take the lesson of like how much the bad hurt you and also realize that the one that called you brilliant also doesn't fucking matter. I, I talked to someone about this yesterday where I said, yeah. I didn't read reviews. Um, now I'm not gonna again. 
I didn't read. Well, I don't. I don't read reviews at all of anything. I'm never going to. I don't even read reviews. I don't even read those articles that go top ten stand up specials on Netflix. I I just go. Mine's not in it. Let's not look at it. I don't need. I don't need validation from the press. All I need to do is sell some tickets. I just need to sell enough tickets to pay my mortgage. Yeah. Yeah. This has been an awesome fucking podcast, Cody. Wait, is it? Am I doing a good job? I feel like I like. I don't know. I'm, this is kind of one of my first, I've never done this kind of podcast. Also like there's a whole logo in the upper left-hand yeah. thing of the zoom. It does, I don't, that doesn't make it into the show. That's Halston. Halston's okay. just covering his own face. No, this okay. has been great. I, I listen, I feel like anytime I talk to a creative person, we start somewhere, we get, we get off topic and then we end up somewhere. And I feel like, I, that's what I love about a podcast is it doesn't have to be one thing. You know, it can be, it can be an amalgamation of different, different parts of our personality. I mean, one of the things that I, I, I mean, just I'm obsessed with the fact that anyone who grew up here would move to a part of the city that they didn't grow, live in as a child and maybe had views about as a child. And like, no one's ever fulfilled that, like what I wanted that answer to be. They was like, well, yeah, I grew up in the Valley. And then, you know, and then they just pivoted when you were like, I needed a three, one Oh number. <laughs> I've changed, I'm trying to change my number. And I, and my wife got me a new number and it's an eight, one, eight number. And I won't change it because it's not three, two, three. Cause I haven't come to terms with the fact that I live in the Valley yet. <gasps> yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, but this has been awesome. I appreciate it. Thank you. I mean, I would, by the way, I would, I could do this anytime. I want to have you on a drinking podcast. When, when this goes down. Okay, but it has, I'm sorry, but for me, this has been a little, I mean, a tiny, just a morning quarantine, like, okay. A morning cocktail. But yeah, I'll do it when it's more of a when thing. This, we're yeah. building a podcast studio. I'll tell you where, as soon as we hit stop recording, I'll tell you where I live and where our new house is. Okay. But we're building a podcast studio. And, and one of my favorite things in the world is to do drinking podcasts. They're fun as fuck. Do them at like, you know, seven o'clock at night, have a few cocktails. And they go yeah. for like two and a half hours and they're just, we haven't done one in a while, but they are so much fucking fun. I love it. Yeah. So we'll link up and we'll figure out like what group of friends that we all have in common and we'll do a drinking podcast. It'll be a blast. I love to see it. Well, Hey, congratulations on dummy. I think it's fucking fantastic. I'm so, I'm so excited that we got to have this conversation. Like I said, I am a fucking huge Anna Kendrick fan. I am a, Huge. Oh my gosh, she's she is an American best. treasure, that kid. Oh, wait, do you know about my uh, trying to get Anna Kendrick to follow me on Instagram thing? No. So if you go to my Instagram, normal, normal Heller, I think is my handle. I have a highlight that's called like trying to get Anna Kendrick to follow me on Instagram. And bas- basically like while we were shooting dummy, I kind of made a show within the show about just like me trying to get Anna to follow me on Instagram. And so you can watch that. Or, you know, um, but it was Anna just, Kendrick. Uh, if, you, if you if you're a fan of Anna's, she's the star of this. Oh, this is fucking show. great. Um, but anyway, so, yeah, it's been such a pleasure. Um, like, truly, <laughs> truly enjoyed being on a podcast. No, I, I appreciate it. I hope everyone is like doing well in quarantine. Who's listening to this? If it's still, you know, they're still listening at this point, just (laughs) loving everyone. Thank you. Everyone check out dummy on Quibi. 
Thank yeah. you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks, Bert. This episode was brought to you by The Machine.